0: Welcome to conversations with creative vagabonds, thinkers and innovators. This is the place where great minds come to chat and I am your host Sandra Lee Schubert and welcome to the show. Wow. Catlin.
1: Gotcha.
0: an internationally acclaimed author and lecturer, and she joins us today to discuss her newest book, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. In this book, she says our desire to avoid pain is detrimental to our lives, disconnecting us from our deepest emotions, preventing true healing and spiritual transcendence.
1: Welcome, Marianne, to the show. It's so nice to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. It's nice to be here.
0: There, I, I just got the book this weekend, so I'm still sort of going through all of it, and there's so much wonderful
1: things that are, you
0: lay out in the course of this book. But let's start with your premise about, you talk about sorrow and sadness and depression and how this is sort of pervasive in our culture right now. Why don't we talk a little bit about your thoughts on that?
1: Well... Uh, this last week, we had a real trifecta of horror in our world. We had the bombings in in Istanbul and the horrors and uh, the terrorist horror in Bangladesh, uh, the, the bombings in Baghdad. it's like everywhere you look today, there's something horrible that's, that's happening. So you have your international situation, terrorism run amok. You have climate change at a point where if we don't collectively change our behavior, the entire ecosystem could collapse sometime in the next few decades. We have income inequality and the stresses associated with that that is affecting the lives of millions of people. We have cultural attitudes that lead us to believe that happiness is outside ourselves and with something we're going to achieve, something we're going to get, something we can consume. So we spend half our time struggling and grasping to get those things. And then even if we get them, as Buddha said, things of the world can only provide temporary happiness. So then we're doomed to despair because even if we get that, the fairy dust is going to rub off. And what we thought would make us happy doesn't make us happy. So my point is that we're sad for a reason. This epidemic of depression that people are talking about today doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. In some very interesting way, it means that there is something right with us. If you have a broken leg and your brain does not produce physical pain, then your body is not performing its function. and Your body is not giving you the warning system that is telling you you must reset this bone. And psychic pain is like physical pain. It conveys a message, and you have to reset the bone. You can't just numb the, the pain of a broken leg. And we have to reset our thinking, and we need to reset our behavior. And I think this is particularly strong, uh, important for women. We are exquisitely sensitive. The fact that women are so sensitive is an important part of the psychic ecosystem of the planet. We, the fact that we feel agony when there's, a, when there's more, so much unnecessary human suffering and so forth, when there's something that's so obviously a threat to the survival of the species, this is part of the genius of the female nervous system. It's not what's wrong with us. So what's happening today is that the canaries in the mine are falling over, and the owners of the mine are saying there's something wrong with the canaries. And that's why I have a problem with the overprescription of, of um, antidepressants. You know, people say we have an epidemic of depression. What we have is an epidemic of over medication in the United States, particularly antidepressants, which have been given to people in far, far too many cases who do not, in fact, have serious mental illness, but who are experiencing what you can refer to as a normal spectrum of human suffering. Human despair is not something new. If you went through a heartbreak, if you, you were divorced and it was bitter and painful, or if you, you had a professional failure or a financial loss, or someone that you, that you love died, these things are very sad, but they are not mental illnesses. And our learning how to functionally navigate sad times in life, whether it has to do with our own personal lives or what's going on on the planet, is absolutely necessary to show up, in order to show up as a real adult and with the kind of maturity that we need in order to function during times like this in a positive way.
0: That's interesting. And when So when we're looking sort of at the, I mean, right now we're in a hot polit- political season in, in, in the U.S., and we're looking at all this kind of out behavior, let's say, or it seems racist or it seems negative, whatever it is, now, when we look at that kind of behavior, do we are, we, are we, can we say that that's? I don't want to say a good thing, but it sort of shows the brokenness
1: <clears throat> that's uh, that's in present in our society. Is it? Well, yeah, uh, and it's not. Yes, and that is not something to look away from. First of all, look at look at our at how journalism has devolved. You know, when I was a child, there was a firewall between the sales department of a news organization and the news department. For that matter, when I was a child, the same company was not allowed to own the newspaper and the television station and the radio station because of the diversification of information that they in earlier days deemed necessary. Today it's all about sales. You have a few corporations who own the majority of our, of, our, uh, of our news outlets. You have the breaking down of the firewall. And so in many cases, when I was growing up, there were certain gatekeepers. You could listen to someone like a Walter Cronkite and make some sense of what was going on. There were great news journalists. Most of our great news journalists are no longer employed by our main news outlets. So everything is run amok. And we can feel it, we can sense it. Now, the answer is not to disengage. The answer is this is not a time to be numb. and this is not a time for people who are more conscious, seeking to live more conscious lives to look away. I think we have a very, very important part to play. And, you know if, if you If you have any knowledge and understanding of personal growth or spiritual principles then you know you need to transform your thinking. You need to transform your behavior. Then that's what we must do as a society. When you look at the United States today, okay, you look at well over 360 million people, we have wonderful people in this society.
0: Society. We have some geniuses
1: in our society.
0: society.
1: Pardon? I I couldn't hear you. uh,
0: No, I didn't say anything. Okay. Okay.
1: So we have geniuses in America. But our system was designed as a representative democracy in such a way that there was a strong possibility that the geniuses could rise. But today, because of the undue influence of money on our system, the the, America's best are not necessarily able to rise because America's best are not necessarily people who know how to play a game and and attract multi-million-dollar super PAC money and things. So this is heartbreaking. But it's not something to disengage from. It's something to say, wow, we as citizens, uh, all the things that I just mentioned, this is time for very serious people to be very serious and very sober. This is not time for very serious people to disengage or numb ourselves or distract ourselves from the problems at hand.
0: Now, when we're talking about engagement, I know for myself where I get stuck is I want to start reading, you know, some – article again and again or what somebody did that was so stupid and it's not very helpful for me at least because it's not there's not a a way to sort of I want to fix it or I want to resolve it but well, so the the idea of engaging is not necessarily just feeding ourselves again and again with the same negative story about whatever person we might feel a one way or another about what is, so when you talk about engagement, what does that look like?
1: Well, first of all, you're correct. You don't want to dwell on the problem, but at the same time, you want to look at it. If you don't, you know, there's a difference between denial and transcendence. If you go into a doctor with a broken bone the, in your leg, the doctor isn't going to ask to see your elbow. So we have to see what the problem is, but not dwell on it. If you dwell on it, then you do, as you, as you indicated, sort of get sucked in emotionally. But you also said there's nothing we can do to fix it, and that's what we need to know. There is absolutely something we can do to fix it. These situations did not come from nowhere. We had a Supreme Court decision called Citizens United a few years ago, which opened the gates and allowed for this unprecedented and unlimited pouring forth of money onto our political system, and that's where all this craziness emerged from. There are many organizations— there are many efforts, there are many projects that have to do with building towards a time when we could override Citizens United. Obviously, uh, through certain there, there's one group of uh, possible Supreme Court justices who would want to do that. There are other groups of uh, Supreme Court justices who would not want to do that, and who you vote for for president, for instance, would be a reflection of your decision which way you wish to go. There are efforts that have to do with a constitutional amendment. So I think the point is whenever you see a problem, Google immediately, and you're going to find – you know, it's like I was saying before. We we have great people and great organizations and great efforts being made in this country and around the world. And too many times we don't, as they say in AA, get into the solution. We feel well there's nothing I could do. When particularly in a country like ours, there's plenty we can do. And I know in my own experience, hope is born of participation in hopeful solutions. You get involved. With things that have to do with really making things change, and you feel less desperate about things as they are.
0: Right. I was look. there was a moment on Facebook where somebody had a little photo that came by with one of the sort of uh, slogan hats that go around and it says, Make America Think Again. That's, and, a, that's a great uh,
1: one. Thank you. That's a really that's a good one. That's a, that's a really good one.
0: And I thought, well, that's so. It was, and I said, it so go, goes to what you're you're saying. In, in, in the book is 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 not just being passive and being engaged and 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 really sort of thinking about this. But can we go a little bit? Let's back a little bit to the idea of of being in sorrow or being in depression, and and how. You know, as we may collectively, or individually, be have sorrow or 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 any of these kinds of things that go on, and you talk a little bit about not dismissing it. So there's a difference between wallowing in it and and sort of taking it with you, but there's also a place where you want to experience, you want to learn what that is telling you. So as you say, like I injured my knee, and and I injured my foot that caused pain, that meant I had to fix something that was actually wrong with my foot and my knee. I couldn't ignore that. I couldn't ignore that pain because in order to resolve it or learn about it, there were things I had to learn. So when we're in the midst of a depression, whether it's from outside influences or eternal influences, we don't want to necessarily turn away from that. We want to Learned from this. Can, and you were talking a little bit, I think, um, about Miranda in your book. I think it was Miranda who was the young woman who was being uh, diagnosed with all sorts of things and then being told she had to live with that forever. So there's a distinction between what you're saying about sorrow and moving through it and growing from that sorrow and, or be, and then being labeled as sort of broken for life. I, can right. we talk a little bit more about that? Sure.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, let's go back to the issue of your hurting your leg. So let's say you, you did hurt your leg and they've given you the appropriate medicine or reset or whatever. There is still going to be a period of healing. It's going to take a while. You're, you're, they might have reset the bone, but still you're going to have to have your uh, leg in a cast for a while. It might be very bruised, and those bruises, you're simply going to have to be gentle with yourself while the bruises are healing. Psychic pain is the same way. Often you're in a situation, uh, a heartache of some kind, and you feel like you've been emotionally beaten up. Well, that's a good expression. It is like your emotional body has been beaten up, and it's going to take a while. Now, in the Old Testament, this is the symbol of the 40 years that the Israelites spent in in the desert. Journeying from the condition of slavery to the to the promised land, there was the three day period in the in the New Testament between the crucifixion, suffering on the cross, and resurrection. There was the forty day period that Buddha uh, they was during which Buddha was tempted by the god of illusion before his enlightenment. So all of the great spiritual transmissions actually name that there is a period of time that you, you first you were in the vortex of, of the suffering that emerges from human chaos and, and human, the human despair that arises from humanity behaving in a way that is contrary to the love that is the truth of who we are. And you change your mind, you apply the healing, the, the medicine either physically or, or spiritually, and then still there is that period of time. Now, you don't want to wallow. But at the same time, if you have 45 tears to cry, crying 30 of them is not enough. You know, everybody talks these days about the genius of the body, and everybody does muscle testing, and the body such a genius. Well, if the body such a genius, why don't we trust it when it needs to cry? In fact, there is a psychic immune system, just like there is a physical immune system. And humanity would not have evolved over millions of years, some people say, certainly hundreds of thousands, without being imbued with a mechanism that allows us to take a hit, physically and emotionally. It's amazing how much we can absorb in terms of injury or disease. That's why people who have a compromised immune system are the ones in trouble, because everybody receives hits all the time. The issue is if you have an immune system, you can absorb it, you can integrate it, you can handle it, although sometimes it takes time. So when people say, well, I don't want to wallow in it, yeah, but you also don't want to skip that part. And it's interesting because one of the things, and I've seen this in my own life as well as in the lives of others, if I have just been through something painful, it is the natural reaction of people to who know me, to come up and say, hey, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I heard about this or I heard about that. I'm, I'm so sorry. And people are very compassionate and people, people care. However, if they see you again six months later and you're telling the story again and you don't seem to have gotten off the cross at all and you are making other people wrong for what happened, and you are speaking bad about the people, the other people, in other words, you clearly have not done any of your own work, then people are no longer attracted. It actually repels people. So there are seasons in life, just as there are seasons in nature. You go through winter, but then spring follows. And those same, one of the reasons why why pharmaceuticalizing can actually can actually interrupt this is because the psyche has its own way of dealing. You know, these days people will come back at you with, oh no 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 no, you know, because this saves people from committing suicide. This is the the truth of the matter is, you know, FDA has a black box warning that for people 25 years old and younger. Suic- um, antidepressants can actually increase rather than decrease the right. risk of suicidal ideation there as right. much there's as much legitimate questioning about suicide by people on antidepressants as by people off them and I, I, on them and I, I, I do want to to mention though here simply because the topic has come up. I'm not in any way suggesting that anybody on antidepressants should go throw them in the trash. I mean, anybody who's even thinking of getting off them must do so only under strict medical supervision because these are not things to just go off cold turkey.
0: That's right. That's, I'm, that's, I that's. I think, you know, uh, I, I know for, at least for, for me, I, I remember when I was in a very deep, sorrowful state and I was working with a life coach and, The life coach turned around and said, "That is a low-level emotion, and you need to just get rid of it and move out of it and work your way up, and that's it." And I remember at that moment because I was so deep in this sorrow and I just saw no way out, and I had that moment of feeling like somebody had literally stuffed their fist down my throat. And you know, I thought about that later, and I at least when I look at it for me, and i can only you know, I can only judge it from my point of view, is that really all I wanted was to be heard about in that moment and and I wanted somebody to listen to me in that moment where I was just- wa- not wallowing, but i wasn't a deep i wasn't a deep sorrow, and I could not see my yeah. way
1: out of it yeah that that was a profoundly unfortunate response from that coach that coach was wearing (laughs) his or her head and that that's really quite terrible the the truth of the matter is there is a point where our processing becomes self-indulgence and there is a point where an analyzing becomes spewing but it sounds like you were still in the processing of it and the kinds of things from a spiritual perspective somebody would bear witness to your agony but would also Mm -hmm. at the appropriate moment talk to you about forgiveness forgiveness of yourself, forgiveness of others, talk to you about the mercy of the universe, talk to you about how ultimately we, can, we can't be happy if we see ourselves as a victim. There are so many spiritual principles, and that's what I try to talk about in the book. So we are deeply sorrowful about things that understandably cause sorrow. But when you understand that only love is real, that even if someone has died, the spirit goes on, not that you're going to just automatically realize that and then, ooh, I'm happy today. You know, (laughs) my mom died two weeks ago, but I'm fine now. When you begin to understand that if you hold on to bitterness, let's say you had a heartbreak, if you hold on to anger and bitterness at the other person, then this will only make you less capable of creating and maintaining new love. When you come to understand that even when we ourselves have made mistakes, we can atone for those mistakes and dedicate and commit ourselves to being better in the future, then we rise above the torment of self-hatred. There are spiritual principles that, and it's not simply that's a low-level emotion, get rid of it. That's kind of horrible because getting rid of it, that's no different than seeking to suppress it. From a spiritual perspective, you quote-unquote get rid of it by placing it in the hands of God
0: mm-hmm. Right, but the I, idea I there. Well, I think, you yeah. know, I, it goes to, what what you were saying, the reason I bring bring that up, I, I guess, is because so much of our culture is afraid of this kind
1: of deep emotion. Well, that's the point. That's the point. We've taken a cheap yellow smiley face and poured it over, over everything. Right. That's the point. We've made being sad wrong. Like we say to somebody, your mother died two weeks ago. Aren't you over it yet? That's really the point of the book is that is that sorrow, you know, there is winter in life and that winter has its own exquisite beauty. Uh, when I was younger, people it was understood after someone a family member died that people would be in grief, and the normal mm-hmm. sense of grief was a year. That's really the the point of the book, and that and as I said before, that's the point of those forty years of those three days that all the great spiritual transmissions talk about that period of time, and that Ew. we have so imposed a business model on everything. That if we're in an emotional state during which we're not productive or functional as the world sees it, then we are considered like something is wrong. And then that's where you get this medical model, like it's a problem to be treated rather than a space to be created. You know, we we call things a disease, a disorder, like you were talking about Miranda. Miranda was in her 20s. The 20s are hard, but they're not a mental illness. And that's true of so many of these situations. You're sad because it's a sad situation. And that's how we're going to learn. That's how we're going to learn. We're going to expand in our capacity for love. We're going to become more humble. We're going to become, I know my times of pain have been the times that have shown me, don't treat life like a joke because it's not a joke. And don't go treating your own feelings or the feelings of others like they're not important and on it and so forth and so forth. Right. And
0: I think, you know, that that's where we of. And I, I mean, I, I'm certainly guilty of it myself where I say, no, you shouldn't feel that way. It's fine. You know, no, you know, there's no reason for you to feel angry. However, you do for whatever reason, whether, you know, is it a right or a wrong thing? You just you do. You feel angry at that moment. You feel hurt at that moment. You feel lonely at that moment. And it is you say it's a sort of a it's a it's a of. A moment to say okay, well, what's going on here
1: well from a spiritual perspective it's it's also a moment to to look to a higher power and yeah. say i am willing to see this differently that that's the yeah. spiritual tools i am willing to see this differently i am angry but i am willing not to be but as you said that you can't have that by per- pretending that you're not angry he says in the course of miracles there's a line that says i cannot take from you what you will not release to me you cannot bring the light to the dark and just pour pink paint over it and pretend everything's okay. You have to bring the darkness to the light. You have to recognize that you are angry and then say to your higher power, I am willing not to be. That's the spiritual perspective. And,
0: and, and, and I thought that's really so, un, so important because, because you can have all these feelings. And and you don't have to, you can work through them, but you don't have to carry them alone. I think that was, uh, yesterday, I for some reason, I got three phone calls in in the course of the morning about people being lonely. There were people who were so lonely, and they were reaching out to other people. And I'm kind of like, well, you know, here, here we are. You know, we're all, you're talking to me. So, you know, we're connected. And it was funny, because as soon as I had the last call that I read a part in your book about loneliness and feeling lonely and about be feeling separated you were talking about um what was it rays of, of being rays of light of the sun but not knowing you're connected to the sun i right. maybe just saying that incorrectly right. Right. but that idea that we're not we're not in this process of sorrow or depression alone we are part of one of comu- a community but also part well, of this higher power i guess
1: well, yes, but what we need to look at in terms of the society is how the society is predicated on thoughts that repudiate that. We are taught that we are separate, isolated beings because we are basing our, our sense of experience on the body rather than the spirit. Like you said, we, the Course of Miracles says you are sunbeams thinking you're separate from other sunbeams. You are waves in the ocean thinking you're separate from other waves. And we more and more in our society today look at other human beings as transactions rather than relationships. We are taught we're here to compete with each other more than to collaborate with each other. So there is some deep thinking to be done by all of us. So many of us are lonely. Take something like like families. Take something like building communities. You're not part of a community if you don't cultivate community. That's why people suffer. You're not part of a family if you do not cultivate your your family. What what we need to to look at, I think, sometimes is how much time we spend thinking about how lonely we are, as opposed to time we spend reaching out, calling somebody, make, setting up a date, doing something. We we you know, and that's what I see in in, in myself is that the emotional habit patterns sometimes. Are so, are so much extensions of the dysfunctional mental habit patterns of our society that actually breed loneliness and breed despair because they are not predicated on the idea that we are here to love each other and that that is the bottom line. And if any time you do not live in that light, if you do not set as your intention that I am a servant of love today, my being is love, my identity is love, and my only purpose today is to love, if I am not aligning myself with that perspective then i will i'm casting myself into the outer dark mental kingdoms of chaos and despair and loneliness and the the return to that internal kingdom of love is ultimately the only solution and the only answer okay that we
0: i i love that 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 idea because i know you know When you're out and you're alone and you're walking down the street, you you don't necessarily feel that connection. But I know, you know, just that moment where I'm out in the street and I hear things, I feel things, and I I feel that moment where it's like, oh, yes, I feel that connection so powerfully. And we forget. I mean, that's what, what happens. We forget sometimes that we are these transcendent beings, and, and then we remember again, and, and we move through that, and it seems that's... Well,
1: sorry. yeah, but the, it, we're, we're not victims here. I mean, that's what, mm-hmm. why you meditate. Every, it's like physical exercise. If you, right. if you don't do physical exercise, it can't work for you, and, and so spiritual exercise is like physical exercise. If you are not, if you are not building your muscles then your muscles become weak and that is same with our emotional musculature so you say we forget yeah you forget if you don't if you don't if you're not on a serious right. spiritual path including prayer including meditation on a daily basis the world in which we live is is based on a thought system that tempts us to forget every moment of every day and same with uh, with the other uh, issue of we we forget you know you can't you, you, you can't just fight disease you have to proactively cultivate health through what you eat your nutrition your exercise and so forth and the same is true with sadness you can't just wait till you get sad and go i'm lonely we have to proactively cultivate happiness and that means we have to do more than remember we are one with others in some abstract way we have to cultivate the behavior of actually extending our hand across the wall that wall that exists in front of all of our hearts. It's it's this wall of fear. And sometimes it is about calling someone, making a day. You know, I had, and I mentioned this in this book, and I said this in in one of my other books. Um, I was once very, I was feeling very depressed, and I was, you know, I said a prayer, and I asked God, I said, I'm so lonely and I'm so depressed. And um, within, and I said a prayer, and within a few minutes the phone rang. And it was a woman who was really going through something terrible. I don't even remember what it was. But it was enough that I said, you know, I'll come over and we can talk about this. She said, really, you would come over? I said, well, yeah, we, you know, this is important. We'll, I'll, I'll be there. Tell me where you live. And she described someplace like an hour and a half away, which if I had realized, I probably wouldn't have made the offer. I got off the phone like, oh, what I get myself into. And I realized that had been the answer to my prayer. The answer mm-hmm. to my prayer was get over yourself, get up, and be there for someone who – who actually needs more help today than you do. You know, I went through something that was uh, rather painful in my life, and I do personal counseling sometimes, right? And I was going through a difficult time, and I, you know, would see on my, on my calendar, you know, meet so-and-so at four, meet so-and-so at three, is coming over to discuss. And my first reaction would be, oh, God, I just don't feel like I can. But I had to. It was my, you know, it was my job. It was what I do. And I noticed every time that when I stood up, got up, get dressed, take a shower, put on some clothes, put on some makeup, be there, and I would be lifted. Now, this was not a denial of my pain because after they left, you know, I I was still in my human circumstances. But every time something like that happened, it helped chip away at at that part of the mind which really just wants you to spiral down. So it's not like, "Oh, just get rid of that low-level emotion," but it is that there is work for us to do on spiritual and emotional levels, even while we are in pain. And that's part of the pain sometimes. Part of the pain you know, part of the pain is sometimes realizing the mistakes that we made, you know, in yeah. and, 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 and causing certain situations. You know, most relationships are not just black and white. one person or the other made all the mistakes. Most of the time when we suffer through a disappointment, if we're really honest with ourselves, our own behavior was in there too. So looking at all of this, while it might be painful, is also a very important part of the process. So it's a balance, isn't it? It's a balance between the things you have to do just sitting there looking deeply and the fact that at a certain point get up, get dressed, and go out and do something for somebody else because both these aspects are going to be necessary to your healing. That That's that's very, very true.
0: And uh, we have some more time to talk, but I do want to um, just let everybody know that I am talking to Marianne Williamson, whose new book is, and I just let me get it out so I can say it all over again, because it's a lot, Tears to Triumph, the Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. And I also want to let everybody know who's listening that you'll be at the Open Center on July 7th, which is a Tuesday,
1: and that's going to be held at the Marble Collegiate. No, isn't that July? Well, I don't think so. I think it's July 12th, isn't it? Oh,
0: July 12th. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the time. July 12th
1: at 7 p.m.
0: I apologize. July 12th at 7 p.m. at Marble Collegiate uh, Church. And you can find out more about that at theopencenter.org. Um I let's continue on this um I, I would like to talk a little bit about um Jonathan because it's stuck in my mind because I guess it's stuck in my mind because I see so many people that are in this process. Now Jonathan is you talk about a story about somebody who sort of had this, you know, I think he was a lawyer, he had a high life, you know, he had money, he had cars, he had all those kinds of things and and I believe he did something illegal, but please correct me if I'm wrong, and lost that. So he's coming to you sort of in this, like, I've lost this life, and um, he's feeling kind of sad about it. But can you talk a little bit, because what's interesting is what comes out of that 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 story of Jonathan and really what is the truth about his life, which I think is so important for people that right now feel like they've lost so much through, you know, economic crashes or whatever. There's <laughs> there's an important um, thing that that shows up in that story, at least it was for me.
1: The spiritual notion is that you are valuable and you are worthy because you are a a creation of God. You are a child of light. You are a creation of the divine by whatever name you use it. And that there is nothing that you can do. There's nothing you can achieve that adds to your worth. And a lot of striving in a culture like ours is based on the idea that I'm only worthy if I have the money. I'm only worthy if I have the fame or the prestige or the good opinion of certain people. I'm only worthy if I'm able to attain this or that. And as I said earlier, this puts us in this struggle mode. And the truth of the matter is kind of in the the New Testament when Jesus says, you can build your house on sand or you can build your house on rock. If you build your house on sand, then your house can be blown away washed away when the rains and the storms come but if you build your house on rock then the storms the storms cannot you know destroy your house and that house is your own self-esteem the sands mean changing circumstances so sometimes you have the money sometimes you don't sometimes you have the job sometimes you don't sometimes they love you sometimes they don't sometimes you have exactly what you want in life and sometimes you don't And so if you think that the things of the world and the changing circumstances are what determine your value, are the source of your good, and the source of your happiness, then inevitably, you know, those idols are going to fall. The fairy dust is going to, you know, rub off because as as Buddha said, the things of this world can only bring temporary happiness. So a lot of our unhappiness in life is because we lost things that we thought were the source of our happiness, but actually were not. And what the story of Jonathan is about is that Jonathan found, as we all find, that sometimes it's when we do lose the things that we thought would make us happy that we find that what remains is all that ever really had value. There have been times in my life, definitely, where I got a little nuts when I, quote, unquote, had things. That, you know, sometimes certain things can happen in your life, and you get to, I know in my own life, my first book was very successful. I'd never had that kind of worldly thing before. I'd never had money before i'd never whatever and i can see in retrospect it was many years ago and i could see how i kind of spun out you know you buy a house and you know you get all kind of and i remember years later saying to a girlfriend i remember this saying uh, because i had my money stolen by an agent and all kinds of stuff that had happened and i remember saying to her one day if losing it is what it took to kind of make me land in myself again, then I'm glad it happened. And I went through this really difficult period. I had, for instance, I had a literary agent who had stolen all the royalties from my first three books. Well, you know, I can go on and on about how terrible he was, but what kind of woman hasn't checked her own royalty statements? So I had to go through a lot. <clears throat> right, exactly. And I, but the important thing to me in that story is that it was less than 24 hours after I said that to my friend that I got a call about some other money-making opportunity. So when you atone for your own mistakes, it's like the universe resets. So I, I had to get to the point of knowing what I'd learned about what was real. And that's what Jonathan in that story... Yes, he lost the house, and he lost the big you know, hoopla career, and the, he lost the wife, who clearly had only been in it for the money to begin with, obviously, because she left when he <laughs> lost it. So sometimes what the world calls you know, the nervous breakdown, the terrible thing, is a spiritual crisis out of which emerges a better person. You know, I have learned as much from my suffering as from my joy. I'm not glamorizing suffering here, and I'm not saying you have to suffer in order to find happiness, but I think clearly many of us have taken that route. We weren't going to learn the lesson until we fell flat on our faces. And there is something to respect about that. You know, sometimes the only, the only real failure is the situation you fail to learn from. And that's why distracting ourselves from the pain of these crises, numbing ourselves during these crises is not the answer. Learning from these crises is the, crises is the answer. You know, I always say you, can, you have two choices. You can take the sharp pain <clears throat> that comes with self-discovery or there's a dull ache that's in the background and never goes away. Right.
0: Well, it's interesting because I I, I I work with this woman called Barbara Stanley who does a lot of um, work with women and money, um, and not just women and money, but she gets really deep with this. And I was talking to her about things disappearing, like things I've had for you know twenty years, thirty years, disappearing, just all of a sudden vanishing. And what she had said to me, she she was like, "Honey, you just you just need to grieve your you know your life." Because I was really saying, I, "I just miss my life so much. I miss my life." And she said, "You just need to grieve that life that life you had. You just need to mm-hmm. grieve." Which is so opposite, you know. The person who said, "No, you can't have that, sir." She was like, "Just you know, go go grieve." She's right. You
1: know? mm-hmm. And and that and, that's, and I, grief so is I, part of the psychic immune system that I was talking about right. before.
0: And I have to say, you know, if I look, you know, at my own life, I've been sort of in this state of not grieving for really a long, long time. I mean, years. Because I was holding on to a life I thought I wanted, but then when I sort of, you know, let myself be into this process, I said, did I really, what did I want in that life? Like, you didn't like that life when you were in it. Why are Mm -hmm. you holding on to that life? And it was sort of like, if I... But it was like I needed for that woman at that moment to say, you know what, you can go, you can go grief losing that. You can go, and for me to be able to say, wait a second, what am I really grieving here? You know, right. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't like that life.
1: Right. So Sometimes you know, I felt like God was saying, when I would complain about this or that, I almost felt like spirit was saying, is there anything you need that you don't have? And you go, well, there's nothing I need that I don't have. <laughs> and you really <laughs> see that the error is in yourself. But I wanted three of them. It's right. true, I have a nice dress, but I wanted three dresses. And then it's you start to dress. see that your insanity is, is that you wanted the three. You know, the key to happiness is to not want anything. And what? then when we are in that state, everything that could contribute to our happiness naturally is attracted to us. Mm-hmm. It's like right. there is a natural intelligence that leads the acorn to become, a ba- to become an oak tree. There's a natural intelligence by which the bud becomes the blossom. There is a natural intelligence by which the embryo becomes the baby. The, baby doesn't have to, the embryo doesn't have to struggle to become a baby, and the acorn doesn't have to struggle to become an oak tree. It's, they are in a state of deep cosmic rest within which the intentionality of the universe and through which the intentionality of the universe can express itself. And we are similarly coded through natural intelligence to rise to our highest level of creative possibility and joy. And we actually interrupt the process through self-will and trying to make things happen. So many times, because we were so intent on making something happen, we actually interrupted the energy by which it otherwise would have occurred.
0: Jean Robinson, um gave a talk last week, and he's, um, well, sort of the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church. And I don't recall whether it was his quote or he quoted somebody else, but he was talking about how um, people would want to put gay people down in, this, in, the, in the culture. And he said, they want to put us in the ground. He said, what they didn't realize is that we were
1: seeds and about That we were what? Cows. I'm sorry, that we were what? Seeds. And yes. we're about to grow. So
0: it was such a, and, and I'm, you know, probably messing that up a bit. But the idea of that was that somebody tries to put you down, but you are, you are, could be down, but you're going to grow and you're going to blossom. You know, and people, uh, people may try to put you down, but you are the person that
1: can grow. I guess I'm, I'm sort of messing well, that
0: up completely. But
1: well, from a spiritual perspective, the point is that the you that people can put down is not the real you. Right. That goes back to building your house on rock. The real you from a spiritual perspective is a being of love who is created to be in a way that makes you not at the effect of anyone else's lovelessness or your own lovelessness. And enlightenment is a shift from body identification to spirit identification. So, And that's the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. You can hurt the body. It's like you can hurt the personality, but you can't hurt or destroy the spirit. And when we identify with the spirit, we're not so vulnerable to the vagaries of worldly change. Things change. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. But we can, through prayer, through meditation, through serious spiritual practice, rise above the emotional turbulence of the planet by, by rising above the mental mindset that dominates it in the meantime when we are in in interaction with the craziness we do grieve we do end up unhappy and we have to go through that unhappiness in order to learn the changes we need to make in our mindset and that's how that's how it works and that's why in the book i i don't just talk about how it's a dysfunctional reaction To simply try to numb our pain, I talk about the light of Buddha, I talk about the light of the Old Testament, the story of Exodus, and I talk about the light of Jesus as examples, and there are others, obviously, of the great spiritual transmissions, all of which speak to that transformation from suffering, where it comes from, and how to transcend it and to return ourselves to the light of love in which all tears are wiped away.
0: I have, uh, one of the quotes that I wrote down that, from the book was the spiritual medicine that heals our sadness is not a pill or a shot. It's an internal process of awakening from a dream that is posing as reality. Right. Uh, and so, okay. So we have, um, a few, few moments left. Well, we have a little bit more than a few moments, um, I guess I, I, I want to sort of swing back to sort of this global issue, and, and you're addressing that. So we have to sort of kind of what seems to be this insanity going around us, you know, this, you know, we've got, you know, bombings here and racism here and politics that seem completely wacky, though, you know, as you go back, you know, in, in history, politics were we're equally as wacky in other times but we're in the midst of this kind of feeling like things are just kind of it seems like things are falling apart so as a culture so you know we have this personal way that we can approach this but if you're saying we change ourselves we then the culture changes or, or what how do we move this forward or do we let this ride out As it is, I guess that's what I'm trying to figure
1: out. When, when we look at the state of the world today, Mm -hmm. we're past the point of who made it all get so terrible. At this point, it's this terrible. You know, I was, you know, very much about, you know, the horror and the terrible mistake of the invasion of Iraq. You know, if we hadn't invaded Iraq, this hornet's nest would not have been released. ISIL came from that, and so forth. But at this point, it's all happened. And at this point, we need to grieve. As as your friend was telling you, we really, when you look at, at Bangladesh and you look at Istanbul, when you look at Baghdad, when you look at the fact that we are now in a moment, after Orlando, after the World Trade Center, after San Bernardino, after all the cities, after Paris, after all that's happened, we are now absorbing the fact that any thinking person realizes anything could happen anywhere. That is a shocking reality. It's a painful one, and obviously on some level anything could happen anywhere. uh, Always, as you were talking about politics. But this is different in terms of the world situation, and everybody knows it. The first thing to do is to really be deep with that. Don't distract yourself from that. And to say, okay, blaming, you know, it was the Democrats who did it, it was the Republicans who did it, it was this president, it was that president, it was this because we have money in politics, it was the military-industrial complex, it was the oil industry that wanted more. All of that at this point, none of that right now. Just go deep into this is what is. And as we go into our hearts very deeply, there's a line in The Course in Miracles that says God has the answer to every problem the moment the problem occurs. There is no order of difficulty in miracles. The universe is infinitely malleable. But God cannot do for us what he cannot do through us. So this is the time for all of us to go very deep into our hearts and to say in our own prayerful way, use me. Tell me how I can help. And some of us will be assigned to environmental issues because that will be our passion. We'll know that that's our assignment. Other people will be led to make a difference to the arts. Other people will know you just need to be better at the way you're raising your children or whatever. We're all, and I I agree with President Eisenhower who said that politics should be a part-time profession of every American citizen. We all have to think very deeply. It doesn't matter that the mainstream media is just a bunch of crazy superficial stuff. We have to not be crazy and superficial. We have to think very, very deeply. We have to pray for our country, pray for our world, and this is all a call to all of us, go deeper, make yourself available to love, ask love to use you, there is a great, we are either moving in a very dark direction on this planet, or we are moving in a very light-filled direction, and there are enough of us who would like the, the latter, now we just need to go deeper with our dedication to it, our commitment to it, and to know that if I'm not able to forgive in my own life, that limits me and my ability to be used by larger forces. If I don't atone for my own mistakes, if I don't rise to the occasion in my own life, if I don't give up past and future in my own life, and the more we work on truly deep work on being the best people we can be and making ourselves available to changes in our communities and in our world, if enough of us do that, if enough of us step it up, in our serious dedication and saying, God, I'm I'm really willing to be the man or woman you would have me be to live a deeper, more authentic life and be of service to all living things, then as soon as we make that invitation, then the universe just uses us in miraculous ways. And the, the irony of all of it is then that's when we're happy because that's really why all of us are sad. We're sad because we know on some deep level we're not performing the mission that we were born to perform. And when we make ourselves available to love and say, use me, then then the, the request is answered immediately and we become not only more hopeful, but we become bearers of hope in the lives of others.
0: One of the thing, quotes that I wrote down from the book was, we're not on this earth to just hang around, we're here to actualize our enlightened potential and... um I I I I think so much of us, or or I or I know I I I'm guilty of of just wanting to sort of just hang out, but That's there right. there's right and 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 it's, and it's comfortable, it's safe. I think we all, you know, many of us feel much better just watching lots of TV and um, but we know. don't really, but we don't really. <laughs> we but
1: it's we become don't really. those things are a perverse comfort zone. But deep down we're not happy. You you can't be. Deep deep deep, deep deep down we we know, you know, we all feel we have a guilty secret. I could have sworn I was born for something more important than this. And that's because you were. And but we don't we don't look out at our worldly opportunities and think there's a place for us to fill. Because we're looking outside ourselves. Where is there a niche where I can make a difference? But it's when you look inside yourself and just say to God, you know, Use me, you know, you know where I'm a mess and you know where I'm, I'm strong, but just lift me up and use me for your purposes. And then you don't want to just live as you were just describing, you feel that natural intelligence that flows through every cell in the body that, you know, every, every cell in the body is guided to collaborate with other cells in order to serve the healthy functioning of the organ and the organism of which they're part. And every once in a while, a cell goes crazy and it it disconnects from its natural intelligence and it goes off to do its own thing that's called cancer it's a malignancy in the body and it's also a malignancy in, in consciousness and that's where our suffering comes from we've disconnected from the natural intelligence that tells us to actualize and collaborate with others to serve the healthy functioning of that which is larger than you and we're and that's a sick cell and it and it's a and, and it, we, we, we say, well, that's my comfort zone, but as, as you and I were just talking, it, it's not really. It's just, it's just kind of this state of low-level despair where we've kind of given up.
0: Right, and it feels, you know, you sort of think, well, it feels good, but then you're, it, uh, you know, as you, at some point you're kind of like, well, oh, this no longer feels good. And I know in ter- terms of illness and all those kinds of things, I know the points were, uh, even before my knee injury, I I can I can tell you that I had a thought about who I was that was not really good and healthy and and I I you know I I say my body punished me by giving me a knee injury but just the that idea that I I had this thought and my body said you know what we're just going to calm you down for a second and and I had to sit and heal I you know I was forced in in some way by a, an injury to heal and be alone and think through. And it got me through the process of saying, okay, I've got to come to this place of sorrow. I've got to come to a place of grieving, Um, you know, but we, I guess we, we, we do tend to want to ignore those little, those, those things in, in for our sort of pretend comfort, but the comfort you're saying is something deeper and more powerful than just sort of watching T V or just taking a drug well, or doing whatever.
1: Yeah, the mechanistic model of thinking, the ego mind would say that you that your knee injury had absolutely nothing to do with the unfolding of your spirit. But the spiritual perspective says everything has to do with the unfolding of your spirit, and that's what you came to understand, and that's what Miranda needed to understand. That she wasn't didn't have a depressive disorder. She was she was growing into the fullness of herself, and it's a difficult thing to do, and you do it, and this is how you become the woman that you're capable of being, or the man you're capable of being, and that's what happened in Jonathan's life. Much like with your with your knee injury, and and what you were just the way you were describing your knee injury is the way I was talking to Jonathan about his about his things falling apart, that maybe there was some ultimate wisdom to all this. Maybe it was, was some ultimate wisdom to f- the fact that something forced you to go deep. And and, and and that is what's happening on the planet. And we are being forced to go deep. And if we do not, you know, how many bombings do there have to be? How many heartbreaks do there have to be before humanity will really fall to our knees and recognize that the entire way that we are... Ordering our civilization is is actually psychotic. You know, we've we, we been swimming in these waters for so long that we're looking at all of these horrors and we think, Well that's life. No, that's not life. This is the way this is what has happened because we have made other things, mainly money, more important than the bottom line of love. If all of our domestic all of our domestic and our international policies were were expressed and created with the bottom line of, number one, taking care of children before the age of eight, making sure that the, the needs, the, the health and the, and, the, and, the, and the care and the education and the cultural sustenance and so forth of children before the age of eight was the bottom line, <laughs> both domestically and internationally. And we would seek to increase educational opportunities Uh, for women and educational opportunities for children, and we would see the amelioration of unnecessary human suffering as a large part of why we function as a society, we would not have the horrors that we have on this planet today. And this is why I think it's women who need to stand up for this, because it is our natural, we kind of get this, we kind of know this. And so in a way, when you look at the condition of the world and you look at the the conditions of most of our of our own int- personal circumstances, they didn't come from nowhere. Like when you had the breakthrough and you realized, I'm grieving a life I didn't even like that much while I was living it. That was an internal breakthrough. And that's where a lot of the changes have to start right now. We have to think deeply. Turn off the television. Turn off the computer. Don't numb yourself. Don't distract yourself. Spend some time. You know, the, the French philosopher Blaise Pascal said, all of humanity's problems come from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. We need to shut up and think. And, and, and right. some of that thinking right now will be painful, what we will realize. But if we do not go through those emotions, we will not be led to the, to the motions that transform things. And then the suffering that we've known so far will be small compared to the suffering to come. Very
0: good. Great. Marianne, I just really want to thank you. I want to end on a quote that another quote from your book, your true self knows you are one with the universe created in the perfect image of God, eternally innocent, blessed and protected here only to love and forgive. I think it's a, a good way to end this conversation, I, I will recommend. I want to recommend everybody go out and get Marianne's book because there is so much more in that 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 we haven't even begun to to touch. And um, uh, again, her Marianne's book is Tears to Triumph: The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. And you can find out more at Marianne dot com, and you can hear Marianne live in New York City on July 12th, and visit theopencenterdoc.org for more information. Um, Marianne, I just want to thank you for having this conversation today with me. It's, it's been a real joy for me to, to um, talk to you. And oh, it's I been want a joy for, for me, being. too.
1: Thank you so much. And I hope your knee is okay. Thank you. It's getting better all the time. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Bye-bye.
0: Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the show. It is really great fun to speak to people and find out what they're doing in the world. If you are interested in reaching out on air, online, or in person, let me show you how. I am partnered with some great people, some strategic thinkers and consultants to bring you the best services available. Call me at 347-560-1624. Or email me at SandraLeeSchubert at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you.